Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Environmental Podcast. Yeah, this is our podcast where we investigate different aspects of sustainability. We choose a topic every month and we just investigate it and talk about it with you. Well, each other. To you. Yeah. You're involved. <laughs> You're involved. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. And this month we are continuing our dive into energy overall, but more so we are focused on renewable energy and the renewable transition. Yeah. I'm actually really glad to like be done talking about fossil fuels and the fossil fuel industry. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The past four weeks we've uh, driven ourselves a little crazy doing as much research as we did into the fossil fuel industry and all of, um, I guess the history of that and just kind of understanding how we got where we are now. Yeah. And actually where we are now, cause there's somehow there is not a consensus in the world about where we actually stand in terms of energy. So We've been kind of diving into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It is a bit of a mystery. Yeah. And, you know, as environmentalists, um, it's common to hear like, yeah, let's just transition to renewables. Let's just yeah. do it. To, like today. What are we waiting for? And but <laughs> we knew it was more complex than that. Yeah. We... <laughs> We nothing are, is that simple. Yeah. Nothing is that simple. And um, we both have a really like roots in interdisciplinary issues um, and systems. So this is something that we find really interesting. And like we want to kind of like pick it apart and say, like, what can we do and what can't we do? Um, I wasn't really expecting that feeling here, but I'm. I'm excited to to learn more about that aspect of like, okay, what actually needs to happen? Right. Right. Yeah. Because it's no longer conceptual. It's like, no, we need right. to make some real tangible solutions current, like right, right now. Yeah. 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 And, and they're complex and they are, and we yeah, kind of can't rely on the current uh, status quo to like be in charge of making the decisions for the future because that the way that things are working right now is inherently unsustainable. Right, right. Um, yeah. So that's been an interesting thing to kind of like see. Like there's, there's a lot to, to sort of that we'll have to undo Mm-hmm. To progressively move forward. Totally. Then we, yeah, yeah, we'll dive into that a bit today. Yeah. Um, so this week we split up. Um, we did it a couple of weeks ago and actually really enjoyed splitting up topics and then kind of presenting information to each other. So Courtney went first last time. So I'm going to go first this time. <laughs> it's your turn. Yeah. It's my turn, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I I looked into the transition and what it means and where we are 
Um, and then Courtney looked into more conceptual where we need to go and what that, and what that looks like information. Mm -hmm. So, um, wow. Where we're at right now is sort of a mess. <laughs> oh, um, you don't say. <laughs> uh, I, do, I am saying. So, so it is true that traction is that we are gaining traction as it relates to migrating from fossil fuels into choosing more renewable energy sources. And what's really interesting to me is that, um, well, there's, there's a couple of things here. And I got this specific information from Vox. Um, they did a really incredible investigative uh, piece. And I'll share that link, obviously, when we post. Um, that while we're gaining traction, the we, especially with renewable energy in terms of electricity, we aren't really doing very well with renewables in terms of like like replacing fossil fuels, um, which is to say traveling and heating and cooling your house. Yeah. Uh, those two pieces are huge as it relates to emissions. But what I one thing I found found really interesting about the Vox article was that they used the term renewable energy capacity. We actually have a massive capacity for using renewables. Like so it could be something like 60%. We can use 60% capacity for our for our electricity but we're not using that much are you saying sorry just to be clear are you saying like we could use 60 percent we have renewable the we have the capacity to power 60 percent of our power renewably basically yes but we're not doing that we haven't started transitioning our actual energy consumption yet now that article was in 2018 so there has been yeah. some updates since then but it still holds true in general that like what we are what we can do and what we are doing are two separate things and they're two different conversations interesting. so i i thought that was really i thought that was really interesting because you see like Oh yeah, like you can't. You could, you you can do sixty percent of your electricity off of off of solar, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you a, a city or a country is doing. Right, right, um, yeah. So there's a breakdown somewhere happening. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of it is just general growing pains and trans and like actually transitioning there. Mm -hmm. Um, other things is like storage, which I'll talk about, uh, in a, in a minute. Um, what else I find really interesting that connects with what a little bit, what we talked about last week is that actually China is in terms of like raw numbers leading the charge, especially in solar. And I want, and I, I just put like a note here that says, is that because they have the mines to like yeah. build the, 
to like mine the elements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They are the main global source of those elements. So right. that are necessary so it makes in sense. creating solar panels. Yeah. Right. They're also being built there. So it makes, makes sense. sense. And good for them that to be implementing that rather than just like right. selling it out. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, it's not where it needs to be. Uh, a really interesting quote here is, um, as of 2017, fossil fuels were still providing about 80% of humanity's energy which is the same as they've been providing for decades. It's unchanged. Um, yeah. So there's a huge shift that needs to happen. We are in the stage of building the capacity for it to happen, but haven't transitioned into using that. I choose, I'm choosing to like, think of it as like, we're building the ability and then we're going to transition to that ability, which I think is the, is the smart way to do it without making like huge shifts that are going to just be like impossible. Right. Right. It has to be incremental. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, it's such a big lifestyle shift that like, yeah, or it could be if we didn't do it thoughtfully and actually like (laughs) ensure that we had the capacity to meet everyone's needs. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah, we're working on now. Yeah. Um, some interesting and just other information from that article is that fossil fuel subsidies are still double what, what renewables are. And a huge part of the problem here is that there isn't an, enough funding to figure out what the tech should be. That's something that we talked about last week, but just like now that we've transitioned to looking at the other side of, of the same issue is, is like seeing that again and seeing like, oh, Because last week we talked about how big the subsidies were and this week it's kind of like those subsidies are double. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fossil fuel subsidies are double what renewables are getting. But we have a lot of talk around this transition. Um, Yeah. I also learned the word energy intensity. Did you see that when you were doing your research? I saw not, not to my knowledge, no. Energy intensity. It's like, and so I went down a rabbit hole of like, what does that mean? But it's it's um, set against energy efficiency. So I looked at energy.gov and the official, there's a whole lot of definitions for it, but the official definition is that it's measured by the quantity of energy required per unit output or activity. So using less energy to produce a product reduces energy intensity. Yeah. Okay. And then it's, it seems like it's the opposite. Yeah. It's the opposite, it's the of, opposite efficiency. of energy efficiency. Yeah. So yeah. One of our biggest issues is that we are very, especially in the States and in parts of Europe, we are very energy intensive. We don't have efficient solutions yet. And that is one of the huge ways we need to change, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. but one of the issues, oh, wow. There's a human at my door. (laughs) That's okay. We can hear Maven. It's okay. Maven doing barking. We have strangers coming to our house. Um, okay. <laughs> she feels it's, stressed in the, yeah. in 
living in a construction zone. I don't blame her. You don't blame her. Yeah. Oh, there's actually someone here. Okay. Um, So one of the things I found, I found this article and it's a little, it's a little sidelined, but I think it fits in really well here. It's from resilience.org and it's written by Richard Heinberg. And it's essentially, he said, the point of this article, and actually a lot of what Richard Heinberg says, I did some extra like digging, is about how there is no plan. I don't know if you noticed this, Cord, but there like is no actual plan. Yeah. There's like lots of stuff and there's lots of information and there's lots of noise. (laughs) Yeah. But there's no integrated plan with related policies, investments, or piloting. That was that's a quote from him. And I felt that so strongly because like we've been looking into this for a while now, and at no point have we ever actually seen a plan that was global or even really like statewide. Right. Mm-hmm. Which feels crazy now, like, and reading it from this article was like, oh, okay. I thought I was just missing it. Um, but the deeper I look into this, the more I realize that that's a big problem that we don't have a plan. We don't have a way to test this. We don't have like a quality set up for Mm. this transitionary piece which is crazy and kind of frustrating there is just like random it's not random that's not to say that there's not a lot going on because there is a lot going on like there's so much every there's everybody's talking about it there are people that are like building plans and tom tom works for a solar car company and Tom, your you boyfriend know, just for Tom's my boyfriend yeah knows. yeah um, and you know there's sustainable businesses out there and there is the global uh, like the green new deal and there's like some right. policy but there's no there's no integrated goal right which I mean, could we, could we expect there to be? Right. I d- yeah. I don't know how there could be. I mean, I think that like, it yeah. seems like the Green New Deal is an attempt at that, but it- Yeah, but then, you know, it's, it, po- it's political. Right. Implementing that in individual states will be really problematic because what yeah, we're still- absolutely up against a pretty major political player in the fossil fuel industry that certainly doesn't want to right they give have up no any no, control they have no interest in this no no right yeah and they have so much control yeah. so then it's like okay well what can we do what can we see what is so then it goes back to what does the data say where that we're at and what we need to do then I've, so I found this really interesting article called The Critical Role of Buildings because I keep reading this about the like building sector and I wanted to know more about what that was. 
And like one of the biggest emissions is from just buildings that we have like 30% of emissions and 55% of global electricity consumption is from like the building sector. Like, is that the process of building or is that just the existence of buildings in general? The existence of buildings that are not, especially buildings that are not energy efficient. Like I'll give you an example. This house, we are doing a lot to make it more energy efficient and less energy intensive. Mm -hmm. And like it wasn't insulated at all. Right. So anytime there's heat on, it would just leave. Like there's millions of houses like that. There's millions of buildings that just they're they're just one thing that they're not insulated. Right. Right. Like that is so such a, a huge amount of our emissions. That's like interesting. Literally 30%. Yeah. Because things are so cheaply made. And yeah. Cities and are, they just didn't yeah. know. Right. Yeah. Really right. Old houses, like they didn't know about insulation or insulating materials. They definitely didn't know about emissions. Like, right. You know, single pane window versus like double pane windows yeah. probably didn't even exist. No, <laughs> until Even 50 like our years lifetime. Ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, shit, when this house was built, they didn't even have a toilet in the house. Like, but there, but there's hundreds and hundreds of houses here. Yeah. All of which are from the same state, you know, and you're in the same state. Maybe in a stuck somewhere. She's barking. Um, so it's just, it's fat. Hmm. That was a fascinating thing to me. And then to see yeah. like 55% of global electricity consumption comes from your houses. So this is where it comes to like, get a house, like make sure that you're doing things like putting an insulation in your house and switching to led lights. Like those make those things actually make a huge difference. And then, you know, they talked about heat pumps. They cut typical energy use for heating by a factor of four or more. Um, so the quote from this says, waiting another 10 years to act on high performance buildings construction and renovations would result in more than two gigatons of additional CO2 emissions. Shit loads. That's a ton. Because, yeah, because actually one of the things that we should be doing is focusing on like bettering the infrastructure that we have there's so much there's so much emphasis put on transitioning towards solar and mm-hmm. transitioning like away from fossil fuels and like making these massive changes but mm-hmm. actually one of the biggest problems that we have is that we're inefficient we're not right. using the energy that we're using well. So now you're just going to transition to this other thing. That's very interesting. Well, you, who to, I mean, that makes perfect sense because it's like energy companies don't want you to be energy efficient. They profit right. on your inefficiency. Right. So that's a really interesting point to like, rather than thinking of like 
everything in this transition to renewables needs to be like built from scratch. We have to start from the like ground up. It's right. like that's whole new infrastructure. Not true. Right. Like, there are things we can no. do within our current right homes. Totally. And it's so and it's not hard, right? Like we I mean it's it's an investment. Right. And one of the things is like we should be one of the policy recommendations was making these types of investments low risk to make upgrades more accessible mm -hmm. because upgrading your house like i mean we're we luckily we're very new homeowners but this is something that my partner and i are so dedicated to is this sort of efficiency also it saves you a ton of money in the long run, yes, but it's upfront cost, I think, is what yeah. gets folks, right? That like Yeah. Yeah. But that's what this article was about in the critical role of buildings. It was very long. Um, so it talked about like what the emissions were, what needs to change, it gives policy recommendations. But one of the things is like the upfront investment will pay for itself in less in in like a couple of years. So, and it's calling for cities to do it when they can, you know, because cities pay also subsidies for their citizens to be able to like live in their city or connect to their grid. So that's something that, hmm. that I found really interesting was like asking a city or when you're doing a renovation, seeing if you could get a grant or if you could get something like, I'm going to renovate my house. Can I get you know, I want to put in a heat pump for yeah. our street. Like, is it possible to get some help with that? You know, right. instead of subsidizing like the fossil fuel industry to like do some more research or digging, why don't you subsidize individuals abilities right. to make their homes more efficient? Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. That's an interesting, um, shift and then the other thing i found really interesting in this is that we'll need is the transition to microgrids and the microgrid uh it, this is from microgridknowledge.com it's very official wow um yeah so the definition is a microgrid is a self-sufficient energy system that serves a discrete geographic footprint like a college campus a hospital complex a business center or a, a specific neighborhood okay so within them there are one or more types of distributed energies which can come from solar panels wind combined heat and power like generators whatever that produce the power um in addition many new new microgrids contain energy storage, mm -hmm. which I think, so essentially there's a microgrid and then it can connect to, for a neighborhood. And then that microgrid can connect to the larger grid that we all, that we all connect with. Mm -hmm. And it connects it with the traditional power grid and it shares back and forth. Mm -hmm. And one of the main issues with our big power grid is that it can go, it can, you can lose power across a whole state really easily. But with, when you transition to microgrids, 
it's called islanding, which -hmm. essentially means that like, it's a sustainable thing in and of itself. So if this microgrid goes down or if the traditional, it's actually, if the traditional grid goes down, then this island of a microgrid can stay like Hmm. sustain because it can sustain itself. Mm -hmm. And the idea of microgridding is to have a bunch of microgrids that are independently sustainable, but that connect with each other so that if that microgrid goes down, then this one or or a network of there's a network or in a case of renewables, if this microgrid has more power and that one is out of power, they can share. Got it. So that was interesting. Right now, this is where those, this is where that money comes in because right now it's not a plug and play system. The interconnections between the traditional grid and the microgrid or between microgrids aren't standardized yet. Right. And they take, and like they just haven't figured out the tech yet or like how to make it work really fast because they need more funding. But in the past couple of years, there has been policies put in place, sorry, this makes me so mad, that um, they're standardization policies so that interconnections between grids have to be standardized or they're not allowed to be put into place. But this is new tech and doesn't have a standardization yet. There aren't rules around it yet. So Hmm. basically, in order to create that standardization, they need both funding and like a pardon from these policies to be able to grow this microgrid tech. Interesting. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's like, who did that? I wonder who. I wonder who put that policy in right right like because in theory that's it's not a bad thing to say like yeah this needs to be you know there needs to be a standard here but yeah for some you know budding tech that doesn't yet have the ability to fall within your previously created rules right how can that start playing you you can't be a part yeah you're just like by default, excluding any new potential technology from even existing or, or exactly. trying to exist. Yeah, exactly. Which is also like that, you know, tips into energy storage because again, it needs, it has to be standardized. And like, I started to look into energy storage and essentially it's like a bunch of, when you start looking into it, you basically find companies that have massive batteries Mm-hmm. that have like big banks of batteries or you find like a bunch of like like potential conceptual information which yeah or like cars being part of the grid which is a really cool idea your electric car can plug in mm-hmm. and then it becomes part of the grid so it's sharing energy around a around what essentially would be a microgrid then you then you're in this like cycle, which is really cool. This cycle of like microgrid and then you have your car plugged in and then like the car charges, but it doesn't take a full eight hours to charge. So, but it's, let's say it's going to be plugged in for eight hours. You Mm -hmm. would, 
say like, I need my car again at 6am and you plug it in later or like at seven, it's, it's, it's 7 p.m. You get home from work. You need it again at six or whatever. Then it would be on that charger for 11 hours, but it only takes four hours to charge. So it would be like sharing and p- just part of the grid, storing yeah. some energy, sharing some energy. This is like potentially possible, but the policies aren't there. And the policies that are in place make it difficult for this type of tech to happen. Right. That's interesting. Cause yeah, like where would, like once a battery is charged, if you have something continuously plugged in, where does that energy actually go? Is it just wasted? Yep. Currently. Right. Yep. But yeah, there's no way for it to like go back. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of what they're trying to develop is like, yeah, a way for excess. Yep. Yeah. But then it's like, yeah, that then the capacity of individual electronics and things has to come into play and or be a factor of like how do they know when something is fully charged right i don't know that yeah that's interesting yeah there's somebody out there developing that stuff but that's the whole thing right is that there's people and startups and like businesses and random policies and all of these things but they're not connected there is no plan like what mm-hmm. who, no one's in charge no and like everybody's like we gotta just make the switch right you know? it's a shit mess it is it is yes yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's the stuff i learned okay yeah it's good and bad you know <laughs> um Yeah, I think that there honestly just kind of needs to be like a nationwide organization that kind of leads the way. I think that that's the issue with a lot of movements is that there isn't a centralized like leader to look to for. Yeah, answers and for like, would that even be I mean, shouldn't that my question is, shouldn't that be the government? Right, right. Isn't that what a government actually does? In theory, in theory. And that's really where this intersectionality between energy and power and, and government comes into play. And and that was a little bit in, in, in what I researched. Um, because, you know, as of right now, they're thoroughly tied because mm-hmm. the fossil fuel industry has been able to without any regulation whatsoever just like fund into in politicians in any size election and been able to put people in power that they like (laughs) or that they can control right and and thanks citizens united right yeah, so it's now a yeah, it's it's a political game now where you have to yeah, figure out how to gain more political power. And so I spent some time researching the concept of energy democracy. Um and it 
was it's interesting that it like it need yeah i mean you can't look at energy without looking at politics i suppose and like is just really yeah it's a hard game to play because corrupt politicians are everywhere and there has to something's got to give right i think and i think citizens united is a really good example i think it's like you can't we can't expect to have clean energy solutions without clean election solutions and that is separate, but so like it, yeah, mm-hmm. that's not what energy democracy is actually about. It's not necessarily about like removing corporate funding from elections, though I think it probably should have that connection. It's, it, it isn't quite about that yet. It's really more so a, a concept of, of democratizing energy and similar to the kind of microgrid example okay. that you were talking about, it's like there, it's removing the commodification of energy, and it's rather and, and, and rather thinking of it as a right. It's part of the the commons, like it like education. Okay. You know, it's like it's community owned, community controlled energy organizations okay and that does seem micro gritty yeah it sort of is right because there there certainly needs to be a system in place that allows the these systems to communicate like a network mm-hmm. um yeah but it is yeah, but- it's that's kind of like down the line I think yeah um because it's it's not so is it like happening yet yeah is it like yeah it's not happening yet but is it like oh man like the the Michael Tallinger one small town yeah where everybody kind of in in a community works together and then at, because they're working together and they're creating energy, it is something that they share within their town? Yes, I think, yes. It is like, it is a specific focus on just taking the power away from these energy corporations and putting in place renewables in local communities and ensuring that the power that they produce within that community is is managed by people that are also in that community. And what about like, my my question always goes back to storage because, Mm -hmm. because I hear you about like this interconnection has to happen later like that seems like a down the line thing but I don't think it can be right like especially if they're transitioning 
a hundred percent to renewables or they want to. It seems like the logistics of how it would happen once renewables are in put in place isn't the focus right now. The focus right now is really educating folks on the ability, like knowing that this structure could even exist. Yeah. Like we're at the like, the like, let's rethink this as a concept phase right now. I think that those people, can we like find a way to connect those people with the microgrid people? (laughs) The microgrid people are funded by California. Like that's a California. Okay. So Um, also microgrids have existed for a long time because that's what hospitals run on. For instance, if the power goes out, the hospital stays on. Right. They have generators, they have backup systems, right? They have their own power grid. Interestingly, a lot of this um, kind of this co-op structure of community-owned, community-controlled organizations isn't new. And what I found out, I, I actually listened to a, a talk. Um, it was a webinar that was put on by Island Press and the Security and Sustainability Forum, um, cool. specifically with this woman named Denise Fairchild, who was an editor of the book titled Energy Democracy. <laughs> so it was an awesome it's on youtube it was um yeah it was like a two hour or so webinar all about energy democracy and there were a few different people that um that gave presentations kind of from their perspective and one of them spoke about the history of these electric cooperatives that that's a word i've never heard of yeah so it's it's a co-op right so that's a that is an idea that they are really kind of revitalizing with this energy democracy movement. But it turns out that this concept is not new. Um, that is actually, it was developed in 1934 by FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. And it was really meant to, because at the time, energy companies didn't want to spend the money to create and build the infrastructure to power super rural areas of right. the country. And they just didn't. So there was, there, you know, power companies were focused on cities. They really were like, it's not even worth it to get involved with <laughs> the rural right. areas. And so these rural tech and often more poverty-stricken areas um, were left without power. And so FDR set up this piece where they would build local cooperatives that brought in the local community, they built the infrastructure and they ran it themselves. Okay. But in the 30s <laughs> so like in theory, cool cool I love, cool I love in- your I love the pause for like think about how cool that is for a second I'm yeah. gonna ruin it for you now like- well because <laughs> in the 30s um their people of color were not treated as as whole human beings no and literally legally they weren't literally right? legally not whole human right. beings so the electric cooperatives 
essentially it's it what that technically means is that when you're a um if you're paying in to an electric cooperative you are part owner and you can vote and you can be in control of the decision making yeah. process okay okay yeah. um but oh, fuck <laughs> african americans were left out entirely of the power structure they like the people in charge okay. were immediately white men it was 1934 yep that's the only type of human that was thought to be capable of running anything at that time unfortunately so right. that's so though these have existed these electric cooperatives and it's interestingly enough they're still 93% of persistent poverty-stricken counties in the United States are serviced by electric cooperatives. 93%. Like now? Currently. Yes. But they're connected to the power grid, right? They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. They are because so they're, they're still technically the using fossil fuels. It's not renewable whatsoever. It's not tied to renewable energy at all. But is yeah. it, could it be, could it be self-supporting if in those places? I mean, it started self-supporting, right? Started, so it did. It did. I don't know right now if it could be self-supporting, but because it's been so long where the communities have, it's, it's sort of been treated as if it wasn't even a thing, these energy cooperatives. They really, really banked on the fact that the community would have no education that they were actually a part owner of these cooperatives. There was no education. There was no, no one knew. No one even told they, them. No one told them that because that, that was the interesting thing. This, this nonprofit organization that was a part of this presentation was saying like, okay, this is interesting because now we, in this energy democracy ideal, we yeah. want to focus on these cooperatives. Cooperatives, yeah. Oh, snap. They're already happening. Yeah. Why are we not run, like, why are they still run like a traditional, like, corporation? Because of white guys. Because of white men. <laughs> Who? So they investigated and they found that the community just had no clue ownership I mean, that makes the sense, ownership structure right? yeah they had no idea that they were part owner and that they could take a part in these conversations that were happening and so it, when you say 93 percent what is that in terms of raw numbers what is that like i don't do know you, okay i yeah, was like I, it, it was specifically persistent poverty counties of the United States. So she was specifically from uh, Mississippi. Okay. And nine, like was something that the, the percentage was even higher actually in Mississippi um, for the amount of power that came from tech electric cooperatives. Interesting. Seems yeah. like there's like money owed there in some way, you there's know. There's a breakdown. I don't know there's, if it's a there, yeah. Like I, I don't know if it's a money thing, but like if it's you a power thing power, for damn yeah. sure. Yeah. If there's something. 
Yeah. Um, right. And, and what I don't yet know is sort of like, okay, in the, in the current times, like what actual decision-making abilities does an electric cooperative have? And I don't have that information. That's not super available. I think that would depend on the co-op and the place and like, right. what, yeah. Right. But essentially, yeah, they found out that just like the, the public doesn't know that they're, that they actually kind of did have more power, like, do. Like, decision-making power right yeah and the yeah so it's it's such an interesting thing because energy is such a a, like poverty-stricken areas are also you know they bear the greatest burden in terms of cost versus actual usage Mm -hmm. and and if when it comes to again like the this efficiency and this intensity like these poverty-stricken areas especially you said uh, persistent poverty. So they, yeah. there was never a time when they were like built with efficiency in mind. It was mm-hmm. like started with shanty towns yeah. in, in areas like Mississippi where like it's a metal like plank. Right. Yeah, sh- it is. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. That they never, they never had the ability to think about energy efficiency. It's always, right. yeah. And Right. And these are also areas that bear the greatest burden of energy related health issues. And, yep. and so really the premise Environmental of energy pollution and yes, exactly. like destruction and yeah. Yeah. Jesus, man. There's a lot of work to be done and it is just interesting that interesting and also completely unsurprising that, right. that the, people in power um, have for so long just really banked on the fact that the communities are not being educated on the, on the decision-making power that they had. Um, so frustrating. It is. In, yeah. It's wild. There's, there's so many parts of this discussion that have been so deeply frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. How can we, yeah, how can we like begin? It's like every time we began making progress, it's like, oh, that was already done. Like, thank you, New Deal, FDR. All of that shit was co-opted by the people who were already in power just to kind of Mm -hmm. like, like they just, yeah. Yeah, they don't want change. They like- so it's fascinating to now be hitting that again with this kind of green new deal and, and yeah. this, this premise of, of energy democracy. Um, but really the biggest differentiator is that there, that people of color are really at the center of, of um, this movement, I suppose that it's, it's that, like and in labor unions also which that's is great. awesome yeah that's much better yeah yeah so these and that's really when that it 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 has to happen that actually kind of has to be the way that it is in order for it to be a truly just and sustainable transition 
away from fossil food yeah. fuel usage and into renewables and with these new structures of power with energy and and, the, and energy democracy is really just one way of looking at it whether or not that actually like comes to be a thing in America will time will tell but regardless it I think it is entirely necessary that mm -hmm. the transition to renewables be thought of um, through a social and economic and environmental justice lens. I completely agree with you. And I also think like all of these things are, are that we've talked about are like beginning stages of a plan. Like energy democracy can't be the norm if we don't make a plan to all to all do it like if we said to like if tom and i were like okay we're gonna turn noonan into an energy democracy and then we did it for noonan and now all of a sudden like here we are but we're surrounded by this traditional grid that isn't taking part in that structure actually what we've done is create a new inefficiency mm -hmm. like it really has to be a whole basically at this point global plan yeah. of what's the best thing to do mm -hmm. what and we need to like choose one and just go with it right. you know and right. do all of it you know we need the electric cars we need the building updates we need the microgrids we need the like battery storage mm -hmm. whether it's in big container ships or it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, we need all of these things. But we, right now, we're just kind of like building them. And then we're mm -hmm. like, we'll see what works. And then maybe we'll connect them later. Like that's right. It is. But it's so short-sighted because it's like we're kind of letting the current powers that be steer the ship. Yep. And we're still think we're thinking through that lens. Exactly. We're thinking through the lens of like biofuel fossil fuels like this is how things have to go there isn't anybody that's moving out of this like infrastructure box mm -hmm. right that's really yeah no and and the the concept of of decommodifying energy is so fucking radical that like <laughs> that's a whole thing but it whole but it shouldn't be there's so many things that are radical that just really shouldn't be considered right. radical. Is it not we radical? Need radical decisions, y'all. We it's need radical right. shit to happen. I think it's radical that like there's just billions of plastic bags all over the place. Like that shit's fucking radical. Like what are we doing? Like, you know, what are we, why is everything made of plastic? Like yeah. that's radical, but why is everything made out of a byproduct of something that we pull from thousands of feet oh into the in God. the ground, right? Like right. That whole yeah, right. And we're so entrenched in that way of thinking that right. that anything else seems wild and and completely unrealistic. Yeah, but, but that's not truth yeah matter. it's just a big shift no it's just inertia it's yeah. just like we have been barreling forward with fossil fuels and like 
all the things that they can do, which is like cool, mm -hmm. right? It's actually cool science. It's cool tech. It's like, you know, the minds that are on fossil fuel creation is actually really interesting. If you, if you do separate that industry out, which we tried to do, um, that the fossil fuel industry just sucks and they just do fucked up shit all the time. Yeah. Um, but like the science behind it is pretty, is pretty, and the engineering behind it is so technical and so cool. Yeah. But like, but Science and engineering is dope regardless. Put right. that fucking money into other shit and that would also be cool, you know? Right, exactly, exactly. Like, you don't... No scientist that I have ever met is like, I'm going to spend my whole life doing something that... I'm focused on creating something that's going to run out. Nobody I know, no sign like when a scientist creates their like little baby thing that they love they would prefer that it goes on forever right like that's their namesake or that's the thing they've worked 25 years on on this like little thing mm -hmm. and like what did we just watch tom likes math stuff okay he, he watched a he turned on a math youtube video about pi the other day we were just like people figuring out pi Okay. Which for me, miss me, but I, I, <laughs> I was like, gonna say. <laughs> just, like, like, miss me with math YouTube. I don't know, but like, I'm glad it exists, but, but like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm okay with it. But it was actually really interesting how people figured out Pi was literally like using like, um, circles and how, and squares and how many squares and circles how many circles will fit in a square and then adding different sides. So you get to like a 20 sided circle die or a sunny 20 or a, or a 50 sided one. And then however many parts of that were, was another number of pi. So there was this mathematician that literally spent his whole life figuring out like 20 or 25 numbers of pi physically figuring it out right and he put them the, he put the damn thing on his on his gravestone because like that's what he dedicated his entire life to right and then and these scientists that are doing this it's the same with, with the fossil fuel industry or the solar industry like there's there's people out there that are dedicating their lives to the science behind all of this stuff yeah. and it's fascinating but I don't know any scientist, new scientist that's like, good morning. This is my first day being a scientist. Let's just go put all my energy to run out of fossil fuels, it's right? Like technology that was developed in the 20s. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Right. I mean, I right. would, I'm, I would, it would be naive of me to believe that scientists are like, you know, values over profit, but they're still individuals and they need to make a living. And the oh, fossil yeah. fuel industry pays pretty well for scientists to be developing ways that they can sure. make more money. So but they're developing ways to make things more efficient. Right? Like, at this point, a fossil fuel scientist is actually probably figuring out a way to make the individual like gas or whatever mm -hmm. 
work more, work harder, be more efficient. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's one aspect of it just so that they can continue selling their product. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but it's still, it's still a method of efficiency, right? Like that's part of the transition you don't hear about. People are like, let's just stop using fossil fuels. And it's Mm -hmm. like, actually, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily completely for that. I mean, eventually, absolutely. Yes. We can. Yeah. If we can. But I think also putting our time and energy into making what we do use in fossil fuels more efficient Mm -hmm. is something that like I didn't really find a whole lot of information about, Mm. like that I would like to know about Mm. what technology is going into like this gallon of gas and making this gallon of gas last longer. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly developing things. Yeah. uh, Yeah. But it's not. It's unclear. Widely available information, I suppose, but uh, yeah. um, It is a very, very interesting thing. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. Um, naive to say let's transition tomorrow because it yeah it kind of can't yeah it can't be can't right we have to think yeah yeah, we live in a very highly complex society where um energy is a necessary part of our existence so yeah it is there has to be some broad overarching um pieces of legislation that 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 really yeah. kind of lead the way nationally but also have statewide and local um yeah ordinances also i suppose or that are involving state and local governments as well yeah um, and there has to be money behind it there has mm-hmm. to be infrastructure creation behind it and mm-hmm. which i mean i think means especially as energy is concerned, divesting, trying to get our government to divest in fossil fuels and transition that money into like even, even just improving the efficiency of the buildings of the cities. Right. And the, the base level of that is getting people is electing people into power who who have our own values in mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these independent little, nonprofit organizations that are kind of tied to the energy democracy movement are doing just that, where they're really, all of their energy and attention is going into like leadership training for indigenous people of color, um, immigrant communities as well. So they can feel empowered to even sit at the table, you know, and have these conversations and feel like they could be a decision maker within their community and if wow. they held could they could you know run for an elected position yeah is there a way to donate to that um to the- i can find out i will find out and most certainly yes um i don't have the organization site up right now but i'll do some digging and we'll definitely put it in the description yeah um we're yeah. doing some we're doing some research into finding the right causes for us to invest in we're at a place in our business 
in a really cool way that like we can, we can give back some. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for the right company. And that sounds cool. It was very cool. Yeah. It was actually like an, uh, it was an Asian American organization dedicated to energy democracy, which I'm doubly interested in, 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 in supporting. So, um, totally. Yeah. But it's, um, that was just an interesting thing that it was sort of like, gosh, that seems like, you know, that's though that's cool. It's like, that's, we're at that very first step, you know, in actually being able to start making transitions that take, um, Mm -hmm. that, that give people who have traditionally been on the peripheral of decision-making, um, and really giving them a role and, and, and yeah. a leadership role in the transition. I think that's really yeah. where I want to, to focus. Cause I think those are the communities that have had the, have not only bared the brunt of all of the bullshit, um, but I think have, have just, uh, they, they, they just fucking deserve it. They deserve yeah. to be the ones making yeah. decisions. They have the resilience and they have the yeah. experience. They, yeah. when this happens, you know, because it's not going to be a beautiful transition. It's a transition that has to happen. It's going to be ugly, folks. Like, yeah, we're human. So we're going to procrastinate the shit out of this yeah. in reality. And then there's going to be a bunch of power outages. People are going to flip out and then eventually things are going to be okay. Like a few years later, but like those, those people, when we elect the groups of people that have been dealing with those exact issues for the past hundred years, mm-hmm. they're going to know exactly how to lead this how to lead this transition when they say like, okay, the power's out. This is what we need. Like the power's out over here. All right. We need to direct it over here. We need to make sure our hospitals stay afloat mm-hmm. and our firefight, our fire fighters have what they need. You know, they, they know how to make sure that their communities stay safe, even when they're dealing with these energy emergencies. Cause we're going to deal with energy emergencies. So I think that's awesome. I think that's great. Yeah. So yeah, I will definitely um, put links to all of the organizations that were a part of that webinar. Uh, It was really, really eye-opening and really cool. And it was cool to just see how different nonprofits were, um, I guess, just like what they were each independently focusing on in order super to cool the same end goal yeah very very cool concept um yeah i mean i um, lots to think about on that one yeah <laughs> yeah I, but it, I, it's just so, so cool to see how many people are like this is their jobs you know is that, is that they're like running these organizations and so um it was really really inspiring and um great yeah yeah, I feel they're... like what I learned was not as inspiring. That's great to feel like <laughs> there, like there are people doing things, but it feels also good that there are people that are helping make a plan because we're trying to. Yeah, or, they're still so you know, you know, they're disconnected though, which I think is a big concern. How can we? How can we help this systems integrate? How can we do that? 
he, I think that's, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Cause that's like the crux the of question. issues yeah. with nonprofit organizations is that they operate independently and they're, yeah. you know, though they're all doing great work, how can that make more broad sweeping changes? Right. Uh, yeah. Um, right. I mean, that's why we operate living brand directory. Cause it's the same with sustainable businesses in general is mm-hmm. like, they, everybody's so busy working on how to make the world a better place for like their, in their way, their worldview. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That they forget that they don't have a way to communicate and like share that vision to make it easier. I know. Outwardly. We need like a glow, like a varying sizes of sustainability networks of people of organizations and I, I I don't know the answer but there yeah. is a need for that that's yeah. for sure yeah we'll, well see it, maybe it exists maybe it exists it exist. like the sustain like or like the sourcing when when we were digging into like sourcing. the supply side one man right yeah. like it's totally possible that something like that does exist and just like isn't you know, they're just not very good at SEO. (laughs) Their website is hard to find. Right. And yeah, as we know, yeah, people aren't, people are busy. So, right. How can these organizations even know that there's something they could could tap into? Um, Maybe we should try to find somebody. I mean, we can talk to Tom about energy, but I think it also would be interesting to talk to somebody that maybe does something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, you know, interestingly on, um, uh, if any of you guys use the clubhouse app, uh, there's a lot of conversations about sustainability on it. And, um, and I think that they're really, um, they're, they're well organized because, um, there are so many specific things that you can talk about, but it's, it's like the ones at least that I've seen uh, have done a good job at kind of, um, I guess, communicating the intricacies of these, of, of, of the issue. Um, And there definitely have been some folks who I've, who have started following on there that I think work for really dope organizations that I think we could, we could definitely kind of get in touch with. So Cool. Yeah. So we have a book we're going to read and I don't have it pulled up right now um, for next week. either. Energy something. Let's see. Uh, 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 uh. Let's see. It is called Carbon Carbon Boycott. Boycott. Mm. Oh, yeah. By Samuel Avery. A Path to Freedom from Fossil fuels okay so maybe this will give us even more answers um that's cool excited about that so i think we'll we'll talk about that next week right like this book that we're gonna read Mm -hmm. yeah we're we're using libro fm this is a non-spawn um but like instead of using audible we switched to libro because we want to like support local bookstores and so every time we talk about 
books, I think we should just say support local bookstores and Libro.fm is great for that. It sure is. And yes, this is non-spawn. We might put a link in the bio that... um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have. Yeah, we can definitely refer a friend. Oh, yeah. We should refer people here. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. So we'll put a link there that, that you can you guys can click because it's uh, it is very, very cool. It is an audible competitor. Same price on a monthly basis as audible, but a portion of the proceeds go to local independent bookstores. And that is dope. That is really cool. Um, what's his face? Jeff Bezos doesn't need any more of your money so let's not give him more no but independent bookstore owners you know that's there's a there's a human face behind there and they've been struggling i think especially through corona time and like you can't even imagine yeah Yeah. i know oh my god to go to a bookstore a used bookstore i would love to go to a bookstore i haven't been to a bookstore in a long time yeah boy well yeah so this this will definitely be an interesting topic as we kind of yeah dive further into it because I definitely think it'll be (laughs) it'll be less depressing than last month (laughs) let's just like hope it will be because like yeah there are there's so many organizations doing really 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 cool things and every little bit helps in just kind of like having this conversation yeah anywhere and everywhere that you can um helps yeah yeah it's on all of us mm-hmm. and so if you vibe with that then subscribe to this channel yeah because we talk about this kind of stuff all the time sure do yeah yep so learn along with us join in the fun yeah we'll be back next week yeah. See you then. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye.